Hey everybody, this is Dustin from TheBatmanUniverse.net. Just want to give a quick apology out to everyone as for the comic cast and the normal podcast being a little bit late. We had a lot of family issues as also we were trying to prep for San Diego Comic Con, so I apologize and let's get on with the show. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortasio. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Matthew Nicholas. And Christina Lear. Hey, this is Ethan Van yeah. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Dyke. You're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 23. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... It's Apple. Hey, oh, wait, it's not Apple. Uh, yeah, actually, everybody, Apple's doing a, he's a little sick today, so filling in is going to be Savannah. We want to thank her for jumping on and substituting for Apple. We wish Apple all the best and hope he gets better soon. Yep. I just couldn't let the podcast begin without someone saying it's Apple. Exactly. Apple hasn't missed the podcast for over a year now, so uh, it's kind of sad not having them around. But the show must go on, and we have to give you all your comic news and the comic reviews from the past two weeks. So let's jump into the comic news. What's going down? The very first thing we have is right after we recorded um, the last episode, the next day the September solicitations were announced, um, and there really wasn't anything that was super spectacular that we really weren't expecting. Um, the, I guess really the most interesting thing that we saw was that in the Batgirl solicitation, it specifically said that the Batgirl in the the comic is a new Batgirl. Now, they could throw us off. I'm doubting that. Um, I'm still stuck on it's obviously got to be somebody new. It's not going to be Cassandra Cain. Another thing that I found interesting about the solicitations that has me excited is uh, Batman will be showing up in the 10th issue of the Vigilante series, which I've picked up on and again. It's, eh, I don't really care about the character, but the writer is Marv Wolfman, and if you put two and two together, you realize Marv Wolfman is going to be writing Dick Grayson as Batman, which I'm really excited about because a lot of people say that Marv Wolfman's the definitive Dick Grayson writer. He did a great run on the Nightwing solo series, but before that, he wrote Dick for many years in the Teen Titans. And he's the one that made Dick become Nightwing. So even though it's not a Batman comic, we'll probably still cover it as far as uh, reviewing it on the editorial section on, on the website. Um, just so that we can make sure to cover it, just as we've covered Secret Six and uh, Booster Gold in the past. Yep. We can expect it to be quite good. And it's interesting that it's going to be a new Batgirl, definitely, because I take that to mean that it's not going to be Barbara Gordon either. The interesting thing is that uh, Batman, it, it looks like from the solicitations that Batman does not approve of her, and we know that Batman's dick, and Batman and Barbara have kind of an understanding, so I don't know if he'd be behaving like that if it was Barbara, unless... He's just being written out of character. Alright, so moving into the next bit of news that's worth mentioning. Um, on June 17th, Paul Dini was, he did an interview talking about the streets of Gotham. And let's just, I'm just going to read over a couple of the questions. And the first one was, you've been writing com- 
You've been writing Batman and Detective Comics for some time now. How are you enjoying putting words in the mouth of a new Batman, Dick Grayson? And he replied, it's a challenge. I had not planned on doing a lot of out-of-costume scenes with Dick and the new Robin Damien, but in the first issues especially, it made sense to explore that dynamic and some new threats to the Bat family. And then the only other question that I'm going to go over is, what we've heard about Batman Streets of Gotham is that stories will be told primarily from the perspective of some of the supporting characters in and around Gotham City. Can you share who we will be hearing from in the early issues and who else might be featured in the title's cast? And he replied, each issue will cut around Gotham very fast. We'll follow Commissioner Gordon, cops, villains, random Gotham citizens, anyone who might have an encounter with Batman Robin in the course of the book. We're telling one story through a number of different perspectives. You can check out the entire interview by clicking on the headline, Dinny Talks Streets of Gotham, on the website. Very cool. Yeah, and I'm loving this concept. It sounds just like all the things that I liked about Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead, and Batman Alive, and written by Paul Dini. So. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing. Alright, so moving on to some other bit of news that came out on June 17th. The Dan DiDio 20 questions were a week behind, as we know, because last podcast we didn't have any questions to cover. Well, they just decided, eh, we're not going to put them out on time, we'll just make it a week late, and then start it all over bi-weekly, so we'll be off a week. So, okay, whatever. Um, there's a bunch of qu- different questions that are mentioned in relationship to Batman, because these were the first questions that were really asked after Batman and Robin the series came out and then also it's really the first set of questions since the beginning of the entire Batman Reborn reboot so let's go over the questions Josh is going to read for Newsrama and I'm going to read for Dan DiDio Newsrama's second question speaking about up and coming writers coming in designer Chick Kidd is working on a Batman story anything you can say about it? God bless Twitter. Ha ha ha. It's funny. Chip was actually doing a panel discussion with Neil Gaiman several months back. He's been so involved in designing the looks of our high-end projects over the last few years, and as we were sitting there talking just through casual conversation, I brought up the idea that it would be fun if he had a chance to write something with us, particularly with Batman. He said he'd love to do it, but I never really thought he'd have the time because he's in such high demand. But he was excited about it and got right into it. So it's a lot of fun for us. I can't wait to see what he comes up with. Any ballpark on when it might come out? I would say more towards next year. Mark Chirolello, it will be editing it, and it's and he's been buried alive under Wednesday Comics, comics right now. So I'm sure once he starts to come out of that, we'll be able to see how Chip's project is moving. Question number three, a question about Batman and Robin. Now that they have made their debut, a question came up when they will be making their way around the rest of the DC Universe. Will it be soon, or do you feel that they need time to establish themselves in terms of Gotham City and their surroundings? I think they need time to establish themselves and their story and their own relationship. We have a lot of new characters and new villains entering those stories as well. There are a lot of things going on right now that require Batman and Robin's attention in their own series. But that being said, we did announce the world's finest book where you'll see a new direction of the Batman family meeting the new direction of Superman family. 
So I'm sure Batman and Robin will get in the mix there and meet some of the folks from Metropolis. Past that, based on what's happening in the DC Universe next year, there's a good chance we'll be seeing Batman interacting with some familiar faces. Question number four. While we're talking about Batman and his world, the first issue of Detective Comics is coming up next week. Is there a, well, concern or effort to mute the fact that Batwoman is a lesbian this time out? After all, with her introduction, that became an element that defined her to the mainstream media and to many fans. We're not trying to mute anything. We're trying to establish all aspects of who Batwoman is in terms of her character and her story. That is a part of her personality and a part of her drive. Sure, but still, at the time she was outed, literally and figuratively, Greg Rucka expressed his frustration that her being a lesbian overtook all other elements of the character. That was the hook, and seemingly, that was what was important about her. That's one of the reasons we, why we went to great lengths to use her as a strong supporting character in 52 and other projects, because we wanted to establish her as a hero first, to establish who she was and her place within the DC Universe as a costume character. Now, what we'll see in her first solo adventure will delve into more of her personal side and her past. So, from my standpoint, there's no hesitation with anything about the character. It's just a simple rollout of a character that we hope makes people want to keep coming back and learn more because they're excited about who they are and learn more about what her story is. You don't want to go out and put every aspect of the character on the table right from the start. We are in the business of telling periodical stories, so you want things to roll out slowly and build adventure from that. And that's what we think we did with Batwoman in that we built her up slowly and now it's time to get into her past and her personal story. The bottom line is that there's no hesitation to portray the character, nor are we looking to mute any aspects of Batwoman. My only hesitation was to make sure that Greg and J.H. Williams were ready to go so that we could put out a consistent body of work on a monthly basis. Because once that first issue hits, we know how excited people are going to be, and we want to make sure that the book is there month in and month out. I want to make sure that we were there and we are. Question 16 from a reader. Can we please get some non-white characters in the Bat universe other than the woman Bruce Wayne sleeps with? And that led to a discussion about the overall diversity within the DCU. I think we made some large strides forward in that area in the last couple years. As readers have found out, the new Azrael, who will be getting his own ongoing series later this year, is an African-American who's new to the DCU, and he will be act very active in Batman's world. Alright, so that's the end of the questions. Let's just touch on a couple things. I love how he deflected the question about what Chip Kid will be doing by saying, oh, this person's going to be editing it, and we'll see it sometime next year. Yeah. That was really nice. Yeah. Very informative. <laughs> I love how he uh, talked about all the people excited about Batwoman. Who are these people? And I'm thinking maybe if he says that people are excited, he thinks that like people will be like, oh, people are excited. Maybe I should be excited too. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the general thought in my mind is that DC thinks that there's a lot of people who want Batwoman. I mean... After reading the Batwoman book, which, uh, or Detective Comics with Batwoman, which you'll be reviewing a little later, um, it wasn't bad, but I don't think by any means it was, like you said when we chatted earlier, was there was not really a, like a wow factor, like, oh, wow. The art, I do like the art, I gotta say I like the art, but there's nothing that's like super special that makes this book 
really like stand out to me compared to any other books that are out there. Yeah, it's it's weird that it's detective comics and it it feels like it's a backup story or a you know something it just doesn't feel like it's the detective comics and it doesn't I mean nobody really likes Batwoman. She doesn't seem to have much of a personality which they mentioned, you know, somebody was complaining about how her only trait is that her biggest trait is that she's a lesbian. And that's kind of because she doesn't have a character yet. We don't really, she hasn't been developed. It's like, that's all we know about her is that she dresses up in a costume and she is a socialite and a lesbian. So we don't have much to go off of to be excited about, did you? Just there saying. Was a, there was a running joke in the uh, webcomic cast tunes where whenever Batwoman would show up, all she would say was, lesbian, lesbian. Everyone would be like, Batwoman, can you say anything else besides lesbian? Just pause and say, lesbian? I also have to call whoever asked the question. I'm sorry, Newsarama. That is not a relevant question. How come there's not any non-white characters in the DC universe? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they don't pay attention. In the Batman universe alone, the uh, commissioner who was commissioner before Gordon came back after one year later, he was black. We have Montoya, who's Latino. Uh, Cascane? Yeah, Cascane, yeah, who they're pushing into the background. This is off the top of my head in the Batman universe now. Uh, That one, uh, who was the black ball chick? Onyx. Yeah, Onyx. There was Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah, Orpheus. There was... Black Lightning um, on the Outsiders. Yeah. Or was. I don't <laughs> what know. a racist name. <laughs> I, well, yes. <laughs> that should almost not count. <laughs> but he's I there. But, I, I mean, think... even so, there, there's plenty of characters. There's just somebody who's kind of... Especially since, like, did they not read the Azrael series? Because that's been going on since March. And... If you read any of them, you would have known that, number one, they're going to have their own series. And number two, that he was African-American. So, not really thinking the person who asked that question was really thinking, which, you know, give it props to Newsrama, doing a great job with, number one, their punctuation, spelling inside (laughs) their article, as well as asking a question that, as you said, is completely irrelevant to what we really want to know. And the... The whole thing, it said that led to a discussion about the overall diversity within the DCU. I mean, one of the biggest characters in the DCU is an alien. How much more diverse can you get? And just outside of the Bat books, okay, you have Steel, you have Cyborg. I mean, it's, yeah. And I'm sure that if I had to think about it and make a list, I could come up with 50. And in fact, that is going to be my homework on the message board sometime. <laughs> I'm going to come up with 50 diverse, non-white characters who haven't slept with Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got a good start, though. So that's a good sign. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, that's basically all we're going to really talk about in relationship to this, because these questions were kind of disappointing in so many regards. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm losing my faith in Newsrama. Not that I really had super high faith in them to begin with. Um... Anyway, let's go into June 18th. We had some, we had another 
interview with uh, Paul Dini done by Comic Book Resources, and they interviewed him talking about Gotham City Sirens, which wasn't even out yet. And there was a couple things that I thought would be really cool if we mentioned, and we'll kind of do these the same way we do the Didio ones, where this time Savannah's going to read the uh, Comic Book Resources, and I'll read for Paul Dini. The development of this team dynamic will no doubt be fully explored in the series, but heading into the first issue, what can we expect? Is there a natural leader? Who is the brains of the operation? And the brawn? Who doesn't mind getting their fingers or claws dirty? While the idea of the super bad girl team up, as Harley says, appeals to them all, there is some there are some trust issues that need to be worked out first. These pop up in the first two issues, and there are a series of menaces, old and new, who will be surfacing to test the ladies. Each of the women is brainy and each is strong, though in their own respective ways. I hope to show that in different ways and new ways in as the first story arcs gets underway. Are there any rivalries from the outset? Wait until you see Gotham City Sirens number two. What do they think of the new Batman? There's a new Batman? Uh-huh. Don't forget, not every one of the ladies has been trusted with the secrets of the Bat family, nor should they be. That makes for some interesting dynamics with Sirens with the sirens. Who knows what and who can be trusted. Will they be helping or hindering Batman in the series? I think they will be mainly trying to stay out of his way. The fewer bats around, the better for them. That's pretty much the questions I thought would be relevant to cover. Um, One thing I find really interesting is that when you compare, like, Paul Dini's answers to most other people's answers, he gives very, very short answers. Yeah. Are there any rivalries? Wait until you see Gotham City's number two. And yet he answers the question, which is nice. His one-sentence answers give us more information than a whole paragraph of Dan (laughs) Didio. So true. All right, so that's all that one. Um, On June 19th, there was a little reminder that came out from Mike Martz. I'm just going to kind of read over it real quick. Uh, You know, I take that back. I'm not going to read over it because there's not really a point to read it. It was just basically reminding fans, hey, guess what? Detective Comics is coming out. We're trying to hype the series up as much as possible. Go buy Detective Comics. It's got Batwoman. Yay! And, uh, yeah. So, I'm not going to bother reading that. The only other news we've, we had, which was nothing but if, like I said numerous times, if you're not checking out the site and you're interested in either previews for upcoming comics or preview art, from different artists that are going to be working on bat books in the future, check out the site because from Monday the 22nd to Friday the 26th, there was six different stories that all had to do with either a preview of a new book coming out the following week or preview art. So check that out because obviously there's no point of discussing art that you can't see on the podcast. Unless it has to do with Batgirl, because somehow we can talk about Batgirl cover images forever. Exactly. Which is just what they want. We're playing right into that. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it is kind of fun to pick it a, pick it to pieces. Even though they're we know it's pointless. <laughs> they're sitting in their offices saying, why are they getting so excited about Batgirl when we have the awesome Batwoman? Yeah, exactly. The most anticipated comic since Action Comics issue one. So let's get into book news. There's only two books that are coming out in the next two weeks that 
you're going to be picking up. One of them is not really a book. It's uh, an actual special edition of Batman number 608. It's going to just be 32 pages long and basically be the same exact book that Batman 608 was back when Batman 608 came out. It's going to have a banner that says, After Watchmen, what's next? Which, to me, this seems like it's a little delayed by the time people see this on the shelf. They'll think, wait, Watchmen? That was, like, so March. Yeah. Because it's been quite some time since this uh, Watchmen came out. Yeah, that but, was, like, at the beginning of the year, almost, it seems like. Is this... Star Trek. But yeah, exactly. They should say, After Star Trek, what's next? I guess this Transformers the, at this point. Yeah. Is this the first issue of Hush? Yes. Okay. That makes some sense. Except it's to a, release it one issue at a time? No, they're only doing the first issue. They're basically telling people, hey, this is an awesome story. And the reason being, let me read the solicitation, with the wildly popular After Watchmen What's Next program underway, DC Comics unveils a second wave of reprints from key DC Universe Vertigo and Wildstorm titles priced at just one dollar. Cape Crusader hunts down an all-new adversary at th- as the most notorious members of his rogues gallery descend at Gotham City. And like I said, it's only going to be a dollar. So this is uh, DC's way of kind of hyping up their trade paperbacks and saying, Hush was a great story, it was critically acclaimed, and we have plenty of trade paperbacks that have been reprinted thousands of times for you to pick up that begin with this story. Hmm. Alright then. It is a good jumping on point for Batman. I will say that. Yeah, they, they, they lay everything out in the story. Yeah. I mean, but I mean like everything. Every character that shows up, Bruce has an interlato. Oh, that is so-and-so. I met them here and here. This is my <laughs> relationship with them. Yeah. I'm yeah. summing everything up perfectly. Yeah. Very well written story, but very odd to reprint the first issue for a dollar. Yeah. Alright, so the other one that's coming out is Batman Whatever Happened in the Cape Crusader Deluxe Edition. The solicitation reads Best selling author Neil Gaiman joins the murderer's row of talented artists in lending his unique touch to the Batman mythos for this deluxe edition hardcover. Spotlighting the story Whatever Happened in the Cape Crusader. From Batman number 685 and Detective Comics number 852, in which Gaiman joins artist Annie Kubert and inker Scott Williams for a story that shines a new light on the Batman mythos. Also collects Gaiman's stories from Secret Origins number 36, Secret Origins special number 1, and Batman Black and White number 2. This collection is not to be missed. It's going to be 128 pages, like I said, it's going to be a hardcover, and it will be $24.99. Both of these books are going to be out on July 15th. If you like Neil Gaiman, you will like this story, but it is very cryptic. And it's cool yeah. that they have the side stories. That's interesting. And if I read the advertisements correctly, they're putting it out like in a similar format, along with a reprint of uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, as if saying that they're on the same level, which I personally don't feel that they are. Whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow was a much superior story, and I was kind of expecting that with Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. And what I got was eight pages of Goodnight Batcave, Goodnight Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, if you like Neil Gaiman's stuff, which is very weird and deconstructed and 
long, then you'll like this story. But I I will clarify a little bit. Um, I didn't hate it. I was just disappointed because I wanted something to the level of whatever happened to the man. There was stuff in there that I liked. Like, I love the callbacks to different continuities and that they had, like, Betty Kane, Batgirl. But for the most part, I didn't need Goodnight Batcave. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get into our comic book reviews. The first one we're going to do is Batman Streets of Gotham, number one. And the story basically starts off with Gordon in a cop car riding alongside somebody else, and they're pulling up to what they think is a hostage situation. And there's a cop that gets thrown out, and it's at a jewelry store. Well, then we see that it's actually Harley Quinn. In the jewelry store, Commissioner Gordon walks in. She explains to him that she just came into the store to buy some stuff. And he said, where did you get the money? She said, I did a favor for a friend. Um, This guy just got all ticked off and thought I was going to rob him. Basically, Gordon tells the cops, there's nothing we can do. She's doing, there's, it's just one less headache for us to let her go. There's no point in arresting her. She didn't do anything really besides disturbing the peace. So she, uh... Harley Quinn starts walking out, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she gets scooped up by Batman. And then there was a nice little scene that I found pretty funny. Harley Quinn tries to, I guess, kick or punch Batman a couple times, and Batman says, you know, I know how you got the money because you helped Catwoman. Just stay out of my way. Don't get into trouble. And as she's trying to kick Batman, Damien kind of pounces on her and says, you know, she's annoying. Can I cut her tongue out? Which I found that to be a little amusing although the one thing that i have to say at that very panel where he says that that image of damien actually looks exactly like tim drake except for the uh, gauntlets he's wearing on his hands um it looks very similar to tim drake (laughs) anyway so then we move along and there's a little girl who's about to be sold as i'm assuming some kind of child prostitute to some mob boss who looks like he has played over face and they are going back and forth and then all of a sudden this new character arrives and starts talking to the little girl and then all of a sudden we find out that this is the character that was hinted at on the wall a while back called abuse and he punches this guy in the face and on it he has these brass knuckles that actually leave the word abuse imprinted on the guy's head. So I'm sure we'll see some more of this character in the future. Then we go to classic Paul Dini writing where a villain is held up in a hideout that is to do specifically with his moniker. We go to Firefly who's held up in a club called Club Vesuvius, which is a volcano, which is fire, which would to Firefly. That's classic Paul Dini. Everyone remembers that kind of stuff from Batman, the animated series. Well, then we find out that Firefly has actually designed some kind of plan to somehow take over Gotham or destroy Gotham by putting these uh, crazy little pills in people that makes them simultaneously, spontaneously combust. And Gotham just starts burning. All these people that he somehow pricked and made them all have these little things in their body that's making them all combust at the same time. 
Then we cut over to Damien playing chess with uh, Tommy Elliott. And basically he's playing chess with him because he looks like Bruce Wayne and he feels like he wants to spend time with his father even though it's not his father. Then the news comes out about the people burning to death and Damien says, I've got to go. And Tommy Elliott's starting to think of a plan about how exactly this could all work for him. Robin appears, puts out a person right next to Commissioner Gordon, and all of a sudden, Batman appears, and they have these little guns that are shooting, I guess, like fire-retardant pellets. They're putting out these people that are pretty burnly, badly burned. They figure out it's Firefly. They can't understand how it was him. And then the series ends with Gotham on fire all over the place. To be continued. Then we go into the Manhunter co-feature, which I have to say, overall, um, it wasn't bad. Um, co-features are going to be a little bit shorter, so you got to really cram a lot of information into them, especially building up what is going on. But it starts off with Manhunter um, flying around Gotham City, talking to herself about how she came to Gotham City to help. They show her at the funeral of the old district attorney. She meets up with Barbara Gordon says, oh, yeah, um, as we know, they, they will work together in the Birds of Prey. And then Commissioner Gordon walks up and says, this is the new DA you're talking to, Barbara. And Barbara plays it off as I, that she doesn't know her very much. She's worked with her maybe on some fraud cases in Los Angeles. And then we cut back to Manhunter bursting in the room of a guy, beating the heck out of him. Then all of a sudden seeing that the guy has a son... Anyway, she beats the pulp out of a guy. She sees that the guy has a son. All of a sudden, she has a flashback of having to leave her son in Los Angeles because she doesn't want him in Gotham City where all this crime is. Um, then she's tracking down this guy, trying to get some information. And all of a sudden, then she sees herself on TV while she's about to basically stab this guy in the head um, with this her staff. She sees herself on TV giving a press conference about how she's going to take down crime in Gotham City as the district attorney because she has she has a history of working with mutants and prosecuting mutants. And she's basically trying to figure out what's going on and the guy finally coughs up the name Jane Doe, which now we lead, are led to believe that Manhunter and Jane Doe Jane Doe is going to be Manhunter's main villain. And that's the streets of Gotham. Looks like police evidence. Give it up. Now! Alright, and now we are taken back to the continuing story of Outsiders. When we last left things, um, the group which are kind of being dubbed the Insiders, they're immortals, we know, because of these meteor rocks, the same ones that made Vandal Savage immortal. They have them, and uh, there was a few there was a few rogue agents that the Insiders hired Deathstroke to take out, you know, so that their secrets would be kept and everything. Alfred ran into Deathstroke. They had a brief fight before the Outsiders showed up, and that's kind of where we're picking things up now. And uh, there is a very, very impressive fight sequence between the Outsiders and Deathstroke, showing how Deathstroke can possibly hold off all these people at once. And he uses lots of things to his advantage. And at one point... He does the classic Deathstroke position, which has been recreated so many times since uh, Teen Titans, where Deathstroke has somebody uh, uh, 
kind of in a chokehold, and he has a sword over their throat, and if anyone goes closer, he's going to cut his throat. That kind of figures into the origin of how Deathstroke lost his eye and his son became mute, and that's been creative many times, and the last time it was with uh, Geoforce, and he even kind of makes a comment to Geoforce, hey, remember this. But uh, Katana goes up behind him uh, with her sword, but Deathstroke sees a reflection. He's kind of able to dodge her. Eventually, Deathstroke goes to one of the dead bodies of the insiders, the rogue insiders, cuts it open because it has the meteor rock in it and he needs to get that back. And he takes that piece of the corpse away with him. Geoforce, because he can control all earthly matters, is able to suck the rock out of this guy's rotting corpse. Uh, Deathstroke doesn't notice. Deathstroke goes back to... Uh, person who he's working with on the mission on the roof and she's like ew because she sees the body cut in half and he's like oh quit whining and he gets away alfred and the outsiders are talking about you know what their next step is and how they each got to where they are and we kind of get a da vinci code moment where we see that uh before the guy finally gave out and died he wrote down a phone number uh, what looks like a phone number some sort of number with his blood on the ground now, the Insiders have figured out that that Batcraft in space, which has kind of been the Outsiders' headquarters, they see it in orbit, so they've actually gone up there to investigate. Now, of course, all the Outsiders, most of them are on Earth, but Creeper is still on the Batplane, which is not very good news for these Insider operatives because he sneaks up behind them and scares the living you-know-what out of them. Throughout the book, we get little scenes of Vandal Savage traveling around in what looks like the Arctic and the world. And eventually, at the end, Vandal Savage meets up with Ra's al Ghul, saying that it's been a long time, which is kind of funny because they're both immortal, so they do have some history. And he says, Greetings, Vandal. You seem to have a little something on your face. Not very becoming, I must say, because Vandal's face is glowing red for some reason. There's something wrong with him. And I'm think we're going to find out more about that next issue because to be continued kids not kids wildcat outsiders all right so that's going to take us into gotham city sirens number one um basically the story starts off with catwoman jumping around she gets uh she runs into a new villain called that's calling himself bone blaster who has these sonic um gloves and he uh reminds me a lot of the batman beyond villain i want to say his name was shriek but i'm probably wrong and i'm sure i'll be corrected at some point but she kind of, they get into a fight. You kind of find out that she she's not 100% at this point, um, and Poison Ivy comes out of nowhere, kind of takes over the fight, and puts this Bone Blaster guy out of the way so that they can go back to uh, Riddler's apartment where Harley Quinn seems to, or Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy seem to be living at the point. Um, then you find out that all the money that Catwoman gave Poison Ivy, she actually donated, and she has no money left. Um, and we find we see that Edward Nigma is completely drugged because Poison Ivy drugged him. He looks really insane. And then Harley Quinn shows up, says she went shopping. She's blowing all the money that she that she got from Catwoman on all kinds of random things, including an iPod, which I'm sure she's listening to the Batman Universe podcast on. <laughs> anyway, um, they go into this big discussion about how um, they think they should team up together and try to have a super bad girl team up. Um, 
where they will do different things to not necessarily coincide with what's going on. Um, they don't say whether or not they're going to do good things or bad things, but I guess we'll have to see. Then the next interesting part is that Harley and Poison Ivy go into another room, and Ivy says, you know, I just something seems off about Catwoman. She just doesn't seem to know what... She seems to be off. She's not... She's not herself. She was almost taken out by this bone blaster guy for no reason. Well, then we see that Poison Ivy has somehow gotten her powers enhanced and can now talk through plants. And Zatanna happens to be on the other side of the city. And Zatanna um, is about to, I guess, take a bath. And her plants that she has from her show, roses and some bushes, start to attack her. And submerged her under the water, Poison Ivy appears out of the plant and says, basically accuses her of possibly while Satana was healing her with her spell after she stitched up her heart, if she did anything as far as mind wiping her. And she says, no, I didn't do anything. Obviously, um, the physical scars can be erased, but there's no magic that can erase the emotional scars. Then uh, Poison Ivy takes off. Harley and Ivy say to Catwoman, okay, we're good, let's go find a house. This bone blaster guy bursts through the, the wall and says, evening, biatches, which I find kind of funny. And then uh, they take out bone blaster. Um, they completely fry his his uh, gloves, so now he's a nobody, which his character lasted a whole less than one issue. Uh, Edward Nigma wakes up, sees that his apartment's destroyed. They decide, ah, we're gonna get our own place. And Edward Nigma says, Wow, you destroyed my place, this bone blaster guy, and decides he's gonna beat the living heck out of this bone blaster guy with his cane. Which makes me think, wait, are we starting to see the comeback of uh, the bad Edward Nigma? Hmm. Yay. Then uh, we see that their hideout is going to be an abandoned animal shelter, which, again, classic Paul Dini writing. And they buy it, and they decide, okay, um, this is a cool place. Poison Ivy kind of blows some dust in Catwoman's face, and they decide that the only way they're going to be able to team up is if they're completely honest with each other. And the issue ends with, they want to know who is Batman, since she knows. Aw, gee, Harley, you broke our new toy. All right, the most anticipated comic ever. Bigger than Action Comics, bigger than The Death of Superman, bigger than Batman R.I.P., Batwoman's debut as the main character of Detective... Anyway, we start off with uh, pages that you've probably seen before because they stuck them in the backup of every single DC book the last few weeks. This criminal's running away, and he catches up with Batwoman, and she wants to know uh, what the name is of this new leader of this crime religion she's interrogating him and uh he's too afraid to tell because he thinks that the people are going to find him and he really doesn't have anything unfortunately but she runs into batman and they have a brief you know interaction and he basically says all right i'll let you handle this so batman whether if it's bruce or dick we don't know which one it is gives uh her the approval. So I guess because Batman approves, we're supposed to approve, but... She goes back to her lair, but not before uh, 
he tells her, by the way, you know, you should do something about your hair. One pull and it's over because her hair is too long. We find out when she gets back to her lair that the hair is actually a wig attached to the mask. And when she takes off the mask, her hair is considerably shorter. She goes out on a date and we get the typical comic book Peter Parker-like moment where the person's like, oh, you're late. Where have you been? You're never around. I think you're cheating on me. I don't want to be the rebound girl. And they break up, basically showing us that the life of the superhero, there's no time for love. She goes back to her lair later on, and uh, we're introduced to her father, who's kind of like her Alfred figure. He's her, you know, he helps her refine leads and inform, and she has her little gym. We get a nice layout of her apartment, and we see uh, her secret Batwoman lair. Her dad is a little worried about her because you know, she was almost killed in one of her previous adventures, which was, uh, I believe, one of the final Crisis crossovers that Batwoman appeared in. They go into her little secret Batwoman lair within the apartment. It's kind of like a mini Batwoman cave. And she goes out on her motorcycle to find out who the leader of this new crime religion is. And we have a few pages of her interrogating people. Uh, one of the lines, which was kind of nice, was, Names have power. You fear mine. I want hers. At least one of you is going to tell me. And there's an awesome splash page of her kicking some of the criminals. And we are introduced to this uh, new crime religion person, this really, really, really uh, pale white woman. Looks like she's from... A heavy metal music video or something uh, it's almost indescribable you have to really look at the art which I guess is a testament to the arts me saying that she says that her name is Alice and Batwoman and her have a brief exchange and Batwoman's like ever and proceeds to shoot her and that's to be continued but the story is not over we have the backup the question arc with uh, Renee Montoya uh, we find out that Renee Montoya kind of has a similar situation in her little lair, which looks like a White House. Uh, she's with someone who she calls Tot. I'm not. He's an older man, and I'm not sure if that's Latino for father or grandfather. We looked it up. We couldn't figure it out. So if anyone knows, tell us. Apparently, the question has a Gmail account, which is kind of funny, where people email her for different cases. And uh, her tot, whoever he is, reads these cases and kind of weeds out the bad ones. He says that a quarter of them are people asking where their car keys have gone and stuff. And uh, one of them is a guy uh, who begs some attention. So Renee says to set up a meeting. And uh, she shows up as the question. I guess she's not really worried about a secret identity because she doesn't have her no-face question mask on there. And she meets up with this guy who's a little beat up. And we find out that he... uh, immigrated to America, and he sent for his sister to come with him, but she never showed up, but supposedly she made the trip, and that when he was asking some questions to some people, he was given a severe beating, and he knows that something's up, so the question goes to find these people, and she goes into a house, and attacked by a guard dog, who she kind of, you know, kicks its butt, it kind of reminded me of the whole Rorschach guard dog thing, because of the way she was dressed, and the setup of the apartment, I don't know if that was deliberate or not, and, uh, she finds the guy's sister's driver's license in the house, and she sees a bedroom where there's a camera set up, and an unlocked set of handcuffs, so, she talks to her tot on the comm, and says, yeah, he's, uh, 
Uh, she was pretty much here, but she's not there now. But I'm going to have to call you back when we see the last panel. Something's come up, and there is three not-too-happy gang members who look like they're ready to give question a beating, and that's to be continued. For years, the people of Gotham City wondered, who is he? Now they're asking, who is she? And that brings us to Superman Batman number 61, the wrap-up of the mashup storyline. So it starts off, uh, we remember the last page of the first part of this two-part arc um, had Lex Joker talking to Doomstroke in this mashup world where everything's a combination of Justice League and Teen Titans. And in the, on the first page here, Lex Joker's, it looks like conference calling uh about six other villains with Doomstroke, who's Doomsday and Deathstroke. And he's talking to Brainy Cat, who's Brainiac and Catwoman. And Pinguello, Penguin, and Metallo. And even though he's evil, he's kind of cute. He's an adorable little metal penguin. And... Jimmy Two-Face, Jimmy Olsen, and Two-Face. Not sure where that mashup came from. And the Ventrilomaker, which is the ventriloquist and the toy maker, even though he looks a lot like the Mad Hatter. And finally, Lana Quinn, who is Lana Lang and Harley Quinn. He does say that they are called the Brotherhood of Injustice, which is kind of cool. And then we turn and see that Terranado from the last issue is sitting at the table with them. And she's holding her ripped off arm, which is weird. We see that Doomstroke says, I'll fix you because I built you. And Lex Joker is saying, are you sure they don't suspect your betrayal? We need to, you know, we need to take them out. And Terra. NATO says, no, they don't suspect me. They're distracted by Superman and Batman. And then Lex Joker says, for some reason, they are the key. And we have to take Superman and Batman out. And then it cuts back to Justice Titan's Tower, where Batman is looking under a microscope at a piece of the bone, um, one of the little bone protrusions that he broke off of Doomstroke. And... He says there's nothing under the microscope. And but then the Justice Titans when the Justice Titans look, they see something. So Batman concludes that this whole world is part of dream. And so Night Lanterns gets kind of angry and says you need to see something. Takes him to the hall that the you know, in Titans Tower they have the hall of statues of the fallen. And we see Ravana, who is a mashup of Zatanna and Raven. And she has sacrificed herself in this world. And he's. And Night Lantern is angry because Batman's implying that she never existed, even though they've all. All these characters have experienced it as real. And Batman says that doesn't matter. We don't belong here. We gotta get out of here. It's kind of a funny little moment. He's um, Night Lantern's like, if you're so right, why can't you just wake up out of this dream? 
And Batman's like, I'm working on it. Then we see it's nighttime and we hear Terranado trying to get through the security system and Batman sneaks up on her. She tries to act all innocent, but he's really angry because he knows what happened in his world and he knows she's a traitor. And in the middle of them arguing, the entire Brotherhood of Injustice bursts through the wall. They fight all the Brotherhood of Injustice fights with the Justice Titans who also burst in when they, um, after they figure out that it's true what about uh, Terranado because Superman told him, told them, and they trust Superman because they should. He can't lie. So it looks like everybody's trapped. Um, Brainy Cat has Batman in a chokehold. Superman's not doing so well with Pinguello and Lex Joker standing over him. But Batman tells Superman to fight it because none of this is real. And we find out that Lex Joker's real name is John D. And that's confirmed on the next page when Lex Joker rips off his face and clothes and everything and we see that he is John D. Dr. Destiny and he wants to create a new world where he's in charge and he's just woven this from the dreams that he can control into a new world and Superman and Batman are apparently the last free minds on Earth so since they won't submit to the dream he's going to kill them but Superman mumbles there's still Ravana so Batman whips a batarang and takes down the Ravana statue, which breaks, and Dr. Destiny yells, you've ruined everything, and the page starts to crack. I'm not really sure why that worked, but it's kind of a cool page. <laughs> then Bruce thinks he's woken up, and, but he sees Zatanna serving him breakfast, and he has to convince her that they're not married because that's what she thinks. They're apparently still dreaming. So he tells her, just cast a spell to wake us up. And if you're right, and we are married, then it won't work. So she starts crying, but she does cast the spell. And you see Dr. Destiny yell, no. And then they both wake up and they're kind of sad because they could have had a life together. Then we get, to see where Superman went and he wakes up to Raven yelling at him that it's time to die and he's chained up next to the rotted corpses of all the real Titans, not the Justice Titans and it looks like Raven's possessed by her father Trigon again and he tries to convince her that um, Dr. Destiny's just using her greatest fear against her so they argue about that for a couple of pages until finally Raven, the real Raven breaks through and she bursts out and she's free and as soon as that happens Superman wakes up and he's in bed with Lois Lane so everything's back to normal maybe we'll see more of this or maybe it's over I asked you here because I wanted to give you this the real kryptonite I dug it up from my lab found the piece in the river too you keep it. 
At least then I'll know it's with someone who's on my side. All right, so that'll bring us to the review wrap-up. Starting with Streets of Gotham, I thought Streets of Gotham was an awesome series, uh, awesome beginning to the series. Um, I liked, I really liked Dustin Wen's art, as we know, we've talked about him in the past, we've interviewed him in the past. Um, I really like his art, his art was really, it fit within the book. Um, I don't really have any complaints about the book, other than I wish it was a little bit longer so they could talk, tell more of a story, but that is a good sign. So, um, the Manhunter feature co-feature in the back of the book. I have to say, um, as many of the different co-features that I've read in the different DC books, this is the only one that kind of makes sense. They had to cram a whole lot of information into that small amount of pages that they had for that co-feature, but I think they did a good job. So I think the co-feature overall was a good thing, um, and as far as the book itself, I'm going to give it four and a half out of five batterings. <laughs> And Outsiders, issue 19, if you remember a few months ago on the podcast when they had the cliffhanger that Deathstroke was coming, I said, oh my god, guys, that's, you know, like, so important, you know, five stars, everything. This is why I said that. We got a very good Deathstroke fight sequence in this book, and that thing of him cutting open half of the guy and dragging half of the corpse up there, that was pretty cool. And the fact that, you know, Creeper is ambushing the guys within the Batplane while the other ones are solving the mystery down on Earth, it shows different strengths and uniqueness of some of the members of the Outsiders team. And, of course, Alfred is in the center of all this action. Now we're bringing in Vandal Savage and Ra's al Ghul. It's still very intriguing, so I'm going to continue my trend of giving this 5 out of 5 batterings. Alright, so moving into Gotham City Sirens. Again, the art, it wasn't Dustin Wayne, it was Gilliam March, and I gotta say, Gilliam March, he sure knows how to draw women, um, so a little bit, in some regards, uh, kind of on the line of whether or not it's a little too much, or their suit, their, their outfits are a little too tight, or they're exposing a little too much skin, but it's good, um, it's still good art, I enjoy it, I was afraid it was gonna be a little too cartoony, just based on some of the stuff that he's done in the past, and I have to say I was pleasantly surprised, the story overall, I like the direction that it's going. Um, again, this is because it's the first issue and they had to explain so many different things. It kind of gets wrapped up inside of um, having to do too much in, short, in such a short amount of time that um, there's not really a whole lot to go with as far as um, more development into the story as far as, because there's so much telling what the story is. Um... I look forward to the future issues because I have a strange suspicion, which I've mentioned on the forums, that Catwoman is going to tell the two of them, Harley Quinn and Ivy, that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and then that bring that just basically ushers in Hush coming back into the books and playing Bruce Wayne, since we know Hush is going to be in Streets of Gotham. At the very latest, we know for a fact that he's going to be in the August book, and then he's going to be in September as well. So I just have this feeling that it's going to be played across the board as um, Batman or uh, Bruce Wayne is going to be obviously Tommy Elliot, and that's what they're going to be doing. Somehow there's going to be a relationship that forms there. And it goes into a lot more explanation of uh, the possibilities of what could happen down the road as far as Damien and Hush teaming up and becoming a kind of evil Batman and Robin down the line, which is getting completely off track from this book. But 
at the same time, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. And if you want to know more about the theories that we've got going on that I've that I've kind of thought out and I've combined it with one of Matches Malone's uh, theories on the forums, take a look on the forums because that's the best way to see the theories that we have for the futures future of the book. So overall, I have to say I give this one. A four out of five batterings. I give it higher, but I really I want to see more about how this story is going to develop because I'm anticipating a lot more. All right, and Batwoman in Detective Comics issue 854. Like I said, this thing was so hyped, and based on the hype, it didn't really deliver. It wasn't a bad story. But they were building this thing up as if it was like the comic events of the decade. I think that they gave this more publicity than they gave Batman R.I.P. I really do. And maybe if someone disagrees, they can correct me, get into a debate. I will say that the art was good. The art was very, very good. And like I said, the design of the villain was very, very surreal. And I can't really do it justice describing it on an audio podcast. But the story was mediocre, and the character, I have to say, is mediocre. And the quest was a lot more enjoyable. And you know that you're in trouble when the backup is better than the lead-in. But at the same time, too, they're both written by the same person, and it's like he ripped himself off because it's the same basic thing. You know, the question has her little lair, and she has a father figure who's kind of like her Alfred, who may or may not be her father. I don't know. I don't know much of Montoya's backstory, aside from what I've read in Batman and other issues of her as the question in 52. And goes to solve a mystery and gets ambushed at the end. I guess the endings are a little different, but if you read both of the stories, they're similar beats, which was weird. Uh, the question looks really weird now. Went back when Montoya had the black hair and the long hair, and now she kind of has a new haircut and it's just really weird for me like that and she's appearing with her mask and without it but overall it was an enjoyable backup so I'm going to round it all up to about 3 out of 5 batterings one thing I gotta say real quick before we move on to the Superman Batman what's interesting about that cool feature is that the only reason why that cool feature is in that book is because Batwoman and Question had a relationship in the past and I can't stand that. I mean, I liked the co-feature. The question co-feature was good. But at the same time, I can't stand how DC's putting these co-features in books that have very little to do with what's going on in the overall uh, event that's taking place in the book. Having Manhunter in Streets of Gotham makes complete sense because Manhunter is a character that's appearing in Streets of Gotham. I don't really see question appearing in Batwoman anytime in the future considering they're not even together. So I, I just, I, I'm not really liking the, the idea of having a character that because they've had ties in the past or because they've been linked to each other in the past, let's put that person in this book. It's almost awkward. Yeah. Put the X's in the same book. That sounds like a perfect plan. And it's embarrassing too because your backup is better than the lead in that you've been promoting the heck out of. We move on to Superman Batman 61, and I really enjoyed this book. I read Teen Titans, and 
I don't usually read Justice League, but it had enough, you know, it was mostly like Superman and Batman stuff, which was good. I could keep up. And um, I really liked the art. It was all very nice. It was, looked really, the pencils were really nice. It looked watercolored and just really good. The lighting, the, the way they drew the lighting was really cool since it was all, you know, you had to be able to tell when it was nighttime or daytime. Um, so that was kind of cool. My only complaint on the art was I think the colorist was a little lazy because everybody kept changing colors. On the first page, Brainy Cat is kind of a little bit green and then later she's like super bright green and... Lana Quinn looks kind of like a redhead on one page. So I don't, yeah, I don't like to pick on colorists because they never get appreciated when they do well. But I, it did bother me. Uh, take me out of the story a little bit because I couldn't tell what color everyone was supposed to be. Um, it seems like they packed a lot into this issue, which was weird because the last issue seemed a little bit empty. It seems like they could have split up this story better. Um, but I liked the writing of all the characters. It was cool to see them. The, their dialogue was really cool, and their, it was really neat to see the fighting styles of each of them um, in, that, in those middle pages when they were having the big epic fight at Justice Titan's Tower. So, um, yeah, I like this title a lot, so I think I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. Okay, so now we're going to throw it over to the kids for the kid review. In this episode of the comic podcast, for Bat Books for Beginners, we've got uh, Nick, he's going to be covering Long Halloween. He's going to be discussing uh, Long Halloween, and because this BBFB is going to be a little bit longer, we're not going to have a huge discussion, but there is something worth mentioning. There was an image that came out um, on the 24th, it was either the 23rd or the 24th of June, and it was Batman making out with Starfire. Yeah? Yes. It was pretty steamy, that image. <laughs> and then the internet broke in half. Yes. <laughs> well, for all those people who say, oh my god, Dick Grayson and Starfire are going to get back together... We know that they are not. It is. I mean, maybe they'll sleep together or they'll be- get back together for one story. But we discussed this in the How Realistic Should Batman Be debate that now that Dick Grayson is a member of the Bat Books again, and he was really detached from them when he was with Starfire in the 80s and 90s, they're not going to have him be in a relationship with an alien because it doesn't fit him with the Bat Books. It works for an occasional story here and there. But if they were to be together again, you'd have Corey in every single Batman book, which doesn't fit in with the tone. That's not going to happen. Now, on the flip side, I think it makes perfect sense for her to show up because they were a couple from the early 80s to the mid-90s. They had a wedding. The marriage didn't wind up happening due to the stuff that took place during the wedding, but they were together for a while. They lived together. She was a big part of his life and major part of his history, so... I think that she should show up to comment on his new role as Batman. Definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it'll be interesting one way or the other. She's yeah. a major part of his past, and it just 
and this is me showing my fanboyness because a lot of the early books that I read when I got into comics was those Teen Titan books where they were together. And when Dick Grayson left the Titans books in the mid-90s and became a Batman character, she was just, like, really ignored. And I'm not saying that she should have been mentioned in every issue or so, but, you know, they were practically married for a while. You know, when they before they were engaged, they were living together, and they had all these adventures together, and they would just never mention her. And at one point in the late 90s, according to the Titans books, when she came back to Earth... She was living with him at his apartments, but over in the Batman book, they weren't even showing her or acknowledging that she was, like, crashing at his apartment, and it just got silly. And we could probably, and Josh could probably go on and on about this for a while, because he's hinted at it numerous times on different posts he's made on the blog. So, if you want to hear more of Josh's Starfire rants, uh, check out the blog, because he's always posting some random stuff up on there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is cool. I like it because, you know, like Josh said, he's a big part of Dick's history. And uh, I personally just like the pair up. So it's kind of selfish, but I do like that they're putting her somewhere in the new Batman thing because it's a big event in his life and she deserves to see it. And I was very disappointed at the last at the recent Titans thing where they were like, oh, we can't keep doing this back and forth, so we're just not going to see each other at all. That was just disappointing and sad. So, hopefully, this will retcon that. <laughs> I'm excited. Me too. Starfire. <sighs> Are you okay? I am now. Alright, so like I said, short discussion, but it's something worth mentioning because it was something that made the internet blow up. Alright, <laughs> so like I said, let's throw it over to Nick to hear all about Long Halloween with BBFB. Hello everyone and welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host Nick and today we've got a special treat because today you've got an extra large Bat Books for Beginners as I'm reviewing an extra large book. That book is Batman The Long Halloween. This is a 13 issue series which was written by Jeff Loeb and with art by Tim Sale. It was originally published in 1996 and 1997 and the entire series has been collected in trade paperback form. So let's find out, is it as good as everyone says it is? It can't be perfect, can it? Now the plot for this story is very complex and very long, so I will be going through it as quick as possible and just trying to brush over the story rather than go through every detail. So we begin with Carmine the Roman Falcone, who we've seen before, and his Mafia family, and they hold Gotham City in an iron grip. Harvey Dent has been in the basement of their garage at the Roman's home, copying down the license plate numbers of various cars, very similar to the opening of The Godfather. The Roman's goons then beat him to a pulp, warning him to lay off for his own sake. 
Den then later meets up with Captain James Gordon later that night and the two discuss the possible means of bringing the Roman down and they decide they need to involve Batman. Batman to answer a bat signal sent out by Dent and Gordon. The three enter a pax to bend the rules if necessary, but never break them. Batman then disappears, but he leaves behind the Roman's ledger, an incriminating piece of evidence from the penthouse. You thought we could be decent men in an indecent time! On Halloween, Johnny Vitti, Falcone's nephew, is shot twice in the head by an unknown assailant whilst taking a bath. The perpetrator leaves behind the murder weapon, a .22 caliber pistol. That night, Dent, Gordon and Batman discuss the murder, and Dent lets it be known that he couldn't care less about the death of a mafia hitman. The three discuss the particulars of the murder and toss about possible suspects. When Batman notices that their conversation is being eavesdropped upon by Catwoman, she's listening in from the rooftop. She does offer to help Batman hit the Roman where it hurts the most, his money. Catwoman's information leads Batman and Dent to a warehouse on Gotham Harbor, where they discover that the Roman has stockpiled over $20 million. They both set fire to the warehouse and destroy the money to strike a blow that Falcone cannot ignore. Dent cheerfully returns home to help his wife, Gilda. As he is rummaging through his mail, a bomb is hidden inside a package, goes off and blows the house sky high with Dent and Gilda barely surviving. On Falcone's yacht in Gotham Harbour, the Roman is talking with rival Sal Moroni, who we've also seen in the previous book. Moroni says that the holiday killings have been bad for business and that they should put aside their difference to put an end to it. Falcone subtly suggests that Moroni might be behind holiday, using as evidence the fact that the hits have all been on members of the Falcone family. Just then, Falcone's son, Alberto, falls overboard shot by holiday. There's just one problem. What's that? You're talking to the wrong Harvey. The murders continue, and soon it is August 2nd, Falcone's birthday, and the date on which Moroni is going to trial to testify against him. Before Dent can head for court, however, Gilda stops him, disturbed by th- something she has found in the basement, a .22 gun, just like one of Holiday's guns. Dent claims that it's simply evidence he brought home from work. Batman, though, has other things on his mind other than the trial, namely finding the Riddler, whom Holiday let live on April Fool's Day. Batman tracks him down and challenges his connection to Holiday. Riddler explains that the Roman hired him to find out who Holiday was, but kicked him out when the solutions he gave were less than satisfactory. This information leads Batman to think that maybe Riddler was left alive to spread the word that the Roman was looking for Holiday. Someone must have stepped up to run the so-called family. Is that man in this courtroom today? Could you identify him for us, please? You win, counselor. I have a sworn statement from you that this man, Salvatore Moroni, is the new head of the Falcone crime family. On the day of Moroni's trial, Moroni is handed a bottle of what appears to be heartburn medicine. When in the trial, when Dent inquires if the Roman ordered the attempt on Dent's life, Moroni fakes a coughing fit and reaches for the bottle, which is actually acid. Moroni hurls it at Dent, hideously disfiguring half of his face. Harvey, what happened? Dent is rushed to the hospital, but once there he stabs a doctor and escapes, with these holiday murders continuing. Then we jump to Labor Day. Dent has been hiding out in Gotham's sewers for a month. Gordon, meanwhile, has come to the conclusion that Dent is Holiday. 
Batman refuses to acknowledge it, but Gordon demands to hear the truth from Dent himself. Batman first searches at Falcone's penthouse, asking Falcone if he knows where Dent is. The Roman accuses him of knowing that Dent was Holiday all along, but standing aside while Dent went on his killing spree, because the only victims were criminals. Batman then confronts Gilda next about her husband's whereabouts, inquiring about the .22 calibre gun that she found. Batman tells her that he found gun metal shavings on Dent's workbench, as if he had filed away the serial numbers there. Batman finally ends up at Arkham Asylum, talking to Julian Day, the calendar man to try and get some help as to what the Holiday Killer will do next. That night, Gordon, at Batman's request, moves Moroni to a new cell. The calendar man tells Batman that Moroni is most likely to be Holiday's next victim. Sure enough, the calendar man's prediction comes true when Holiday services to shoot Moroni twice in the head during the prisoner transfer. Holiday turns his gun on Gordon, who can only helplessly stare up into the face of the man about to kill him, Alberto Falcone, the dead son. The bodyguard leaps up. It's Batman, who is wearing a Kevlar vest. Alberto is placed under arrest. Later on, there's a breakout at Arkham Asylum. All of the inmates have been set free by a solitary figure who is flipping a coin to decide whether to leave Calendar Man in his cell. As Falcone is ranting in the kitchen to Sophia, the lights cut out suddenly. The two explore the house with their guns drawn, finding guards dead all around. They burst into the Roman's office to find all of the Arkham escapees there, along with Grundy, Scarecrow, Mad Hatter, Penguin, Catwoman, and their mysterious leader, who reveals himself to be Harvey Dent, whose appearance and speech now reflects his half-badly-scarred face. You think I want to escape from this? There is no escape from this. It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! Dent is about to kill Falcone when Batman drops in, taking down the villains one by one under the cover of smokescreen. Dent grabs Falcone and places a gun to his head. When Batman appeals to Dent to let Carmine go, Harvey tells him that his name is now Two-Face. He then flips his coin, which lands scarred side up. Two-Face shoots Falcone twice in the head. Sophia then screams and rushes forward to attack Two-Face, but Catwoman stops her. The two wrestle and fall through a glass window. Catwoman grabs onto a ledge, but Sophia plunges to the ground many stories below. Two-Face then disappears. A bat signal appears in the sky. Batman goes to investigate at the police department and discovers Two-Face on the roof, ready to turn himself in. Two-Face says that justice has now been done and that he has killed the Roman. As Gordon slaps the cuffs on him, Two-Face drops one final hint. He tells them that there were two holiday killers. Gordon and Batman discuss what Two-Face said and conclude that it must have been Alberto Falcone who was the other holiday killer. And they both decide they've got to keep up their work to make Gotham a safer place. Later on Christmas Eve, we see Gilda Dent packing up boxes for her move away from Gotham. She claims that she took it upon herself to start the holiday killings in an attempt to end the Romans' hold on Gotham and lighten Harvey Dent's caseload so that they could have a child and a happy life. Her belief is that Dent took up the killings on New Year's Eve and that Alberto is lying to the police with his confession. She also believes Dent will eventually be cured and that one day they will reconcile because she believes in Harvey Dent. 
I believe in Harvey Dent. And I think you should too. Now in review, this book has got a lot of positives. And I came up with one or two negatives. So firstly, the positives. I really enjoyed the film noir essence that you could pick up in the book. It was really very prominent it, that it wanted to stick with that style. And I think it really suited the book. I really enjoyed the complex murder mystery. It's very, it's a very adult book. It's not like Spook, which I reviewed earlier, which was a, a murder mystery that just didn't work. This is a book, as I was saying in that review, that shows every single detail. And as a result, you can actually judge who you think the killer is and form your own theories. Maybe the long Halloween is a little too complex, perhaps. I know I know one or two people that have struggled with it a little bit, but uh, personally, I think it's it's very good and it's a great detective story for Batman. Probably the best one I've read so far. A few of the characters are done very well, in particular Harvey Dent, obviously. Jim Gordon is done excellently. Probably the best I've seen him yet. And the Bruce Wayne and Batman persona is done very well. And the differences between the two of them. Something that Jeff Loeb clearly caught on to. The story, as you're working through it, constantly turns on its head. You, you come up with a theory. Harvey Dent must be the holiday killer. And then all of a sudden, next chapter, something amazing has happened. And you think, oh, okay, that can't be true. But it's back to square one. Maybe it's someone else done really well and it's just great storytelling. Uh, the Calendar Man I thought was quite an interesting character. I think he was a bit risky because he's a character that probably could be thought to be a very boring and dull character but they managed to use him very well in, in, in an interesting way. Uh, the gangsters in this book are very well done. Quite often I found when we have gangsters in a Batman book they don't seem very threatening just because it doesn't seem that they could really do much harm to Batman or any of the other crazy villains but Falcone is in particular very threatening as well as all the others and and they do they don't seem useless that's the point they seem that they could actually cause some damage um so many people get murdered in this book out of the secondary characters that that you uh, become concerned for them because they're so well written that you like the secondary characters which is a tough thing to do but the fact that we like all these secondary characters and they're getting murdered we uh, we don't know who's going to die and who's going to live and it's it's very well done there's some excellent other mysteries going on through the book, other than the Holiday Killers, uh, which are also there to keep you interested, such as why wasn't the Riddler murdered, and uh, what's Catwoman's motivation throughout the entire book. So it's not just a murder mystery, there's several, lots of other things going on at the same time. I obviously really enjoyed the gangster element. I think The Godfather is a clear inspiration for this book, and uh, as so many people love The Godfather, I think it was a good thing to include, and it's something that really works with these gangsters and perhaps that's why they seem to be a bit more threatening. The book is a very large book, it's a very long story, but it's so easy to get into and it's a very fast read, so do not be put off by the length of it. I do think however you need to be, you have to remember a lot of information to really uh, stick with the book, so it's one of those ones you really need to sit down with and spend a lot of time with on one day rather than doing a chapter a day or something like that because you might become a bit you'll forget certain elements which you needed to remember. The relationships throughout the book, because it's set over such a long period of time of about a year or more, the relationships are very well done. And so you see Batman's relationship with the police develop. You see um, friendships between Gordon and Dent and Batman and Gordon develop and usually deteriorate. And uh, even relationships such as Harvey Dent and Gilda you see them deteriorate as well in a realistic way because it's done over a long period of time that Jeff Loeb's got available to him. 
So it's done very well. Uh, some negative things about the book are that Solomon Grundy, I just don't like him very much. He's just not a character that really does it for me. I'm struggling to think of many negatives. As I said, maybe it's a little too complex, but I think that most people can usually keep up with it. And that's about all the negatives I can think of. Art-wise, I thought the shadows and the way that certain characters were sort of drawn and, and lit was a really fantastic way of doing things. Very unique, very distinctive, simple at times, and also had detail at times. It was a good combination of the two. Uh, and the villains. Uh, some people find that the art is a bit too ridiculous for someone like the Joker, for instance. If you look at his mouth, it's just enormous. But what I think is a very good way of, of putting it is that you've got the gangsters and Gordon and Dent, who look very ordinary. And um, I think the the supervillains, the, you know, the costumed villains, need to stand out and look larger than life. And I think Tim Sale does an excellent job of making the Joker look so much larger than life that I think it works in that context with the gangsters looking ordinary and then you have these costume villas just looking just looking ridiculous and over the top. I think it really works. So overall, uh, I don't think you can get a much better character origin than this one for Two-Face. And it's not just that. You've got excellent story developing with Batman and the villains and a fantastic murder mystery the entire way through. You can tell Jeff Lowe really understands all the characters in this book very well. And it's fully deserving of um, of its title as one of the best Bat books around. And as a result, I will definitely be giving it five out of five Batarangs. It's up there with Year One, certainly. And if you haven't read this and you're a Batman fan, get on it. It's brilliant. I'm sorry, Harvey. Now, a few extra points about the book. The identity of the Holiday Killer has always remained ambiguous, enough so that neither Loeb nor Sale will reveal who actually did it. The mystery stems from Two-Face revealing that there were two holiday killers, followed by his wife, Gilda, revealing she committed the murders as well. So you've got theories saying that Gilda did it, that Harvey Dent did it, and Alberto Falcone is also in there as well. And so it's, um, it's something that the reader can make up on, on their own, which I think is a, a interesting element to the book. Now, The Long Halloween was one of three noted comics that influenced Batman Begins, but I think the book was more prevalent in the film's sequel, The Dark Knight, which adapted many elements of the story, such as the decline of the mob and the rise in prominence of the freaks, such as the Joker and Two-Face. The I Believe in Harvey Dent campaign slogan was also used in the film. Also, the setting of Batman, Gordon and Harvey Dent talking on the roof of the police department is taken from this story and used in The Dark Knight. As is Gordon's line, he does that whenever Batman disappears. In the comic, Harvey Dent has acid thrown on his face during the court case, but, but in the film, a witness draws a gun on him that doesn't work, as a small homage to uh, the original Two-Face origin. The comic also depicts Dent and Batman discovering mountains of cash and destroying it, while in the film, it is the Joker who destroys a pile of the mob's cash. Clearly, Christopher Nolan read this book in detail, enjoyed it, wanted to include elements in The Dark Knight. And the long Halloween success also led to Loeb and Sale to reteam for the sequel, Batman Dark Victory, and also for Catwoman When in Rome. And I will be reviewing those at a later date. Harvey! Harvey! No! So please get on the forums to tell me what you thought of The Long Halloween. Is it as good as everyone thinks it is? Do you have some negatives about it? Love to hear them. 
Get on the forums, tell me about it, or send me an email to nick at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll also be posting on the forums the reading list for the next group of books. We've got Batman Faces coming up next, and then after that I'll be setting out the next six or seven books for me to be doing. So you can get ahead and be prepared for all the Bat Books for Beginners segments coming up. So that was The Long Halloween. As I said, next time I'll be reviewing Batman Faces, where we'll be continuing the story of Harvey Dent. And this has been Nick, and now it's back to Dustin and the guys. Poor Harvey. So filled with anger. Do you think there's any hope? Where there's love, there's hope, Commissioner. But a little luck wouldn't hurt. So that was Long Halloween. Make sure you pick up the next book for BBFB in the next episode. Um, let's go over your upcoming releases for the next two weeks. On July 8th, we have Batman number 688 and Red Robin number 2. And on July 15th, we have Batman number 608 Special Edition, which we talked about earlier. Batman Whatever Happened, the Cape Crusader Deluxe Edition, which we also talked about. And then Batman Streets of Gotham number 2 and Superman Batman number 62. So those are your upcoming releases. On the next podcast, we will be covering Batman and Robin number 2, Batman Confidential number 31, Batman number 688, and Red Robin number 2. Um, as always, you can check us out at thebatmanuniverse.net to read all your comic news, to check out a list of all the upcoming releases, as well as solicitations for each of the books. You can check us out on the forums, get involved, talk with other people on the forums, there you can also go over to Blogspot, Facebook, MySpace. We have pages on all of those sites. But the big thing is check out the website. You can also email us comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. We will be at Comic-Con in San Diego this July. And we will be bringing you all the latest comic news. So we'll have some more details on that in the next episode that we put out. Um, the only other thing I wanted to let everyone know is there's a thing called the comicspodcastnetwork.com and we recently I just literally found out about it and submitted the podcast and we're now a part of the Comics Podcast Network. So those of you who have never heard of the Comics Podcast Network, check out the links page on the website for site partners and there'll actually be a link for the Comics Podcast Network and you can check out there's all kinds of other comics podcasts that have all kinds that have nothing necessarily to do with Batman but other comics that you might not know about there's other podcasts out there that you might not even know exist so check that out anyway this is Dustin this is Savannah you got Josh and we hope Apple gets better and you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast episode number 23 we'll see you guys next time thanks everybody pip pip We're talking about the Starfire picture, right? In news? Yeah. The one with her and Dick? Yeah. Well, yeah. who we're assuming is Dick, yeah. If it's Bruce, oh my god, worst father of the year. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, with everyone not feeling well, this is going to be Tag City. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to be end up in the tag, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and that's in there, too. Newsarama set. I, 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 I copied that straight from. That's not my fault. <laughs> oh, no, I, I know. <laughs> yeah. We know I mean, Newsarama. I, 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 I would expect just as much from a place that has a whole article about pants. Yeah. I was just about to say, we're, they're never going to live that down for us. Bad pants. He's going to be discussing that for a little bit longer than most BFBB. Uh, BBFB. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I say that. It would be just another way for the Batman universe to slowly take over the world. <laughs>